Okay, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 58. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thank you, Jacob. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for another beautiful day. It's the end of April already, and two weeks ago we honored you, uh, we worshiped you, and thanked you for Easter Sunday. And Lord, the world is so full of your life. But most importantly, Lord, that we would look to spiritual things and eternal life, and that this would weigh upon us heavily if we have not indeed made a decision for you. And Jesus, thank you for the cross. We need to come to the cross, but we need to go through the cross in order to go into heaven. And Holy Spirit, that you would be with us, guide my tongue as I look at verses from your Holy Bible, and that you would bind any evil that would try to steal your word and your glory and your honor. We love you, Father. You're an awesome God. Amen. So today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that Jacob had just read. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the title of this message is Concerning Death, Resurrection, and Eternal Destiny. And there's three points. The first point that we're going to look at today is the mystery of the resurrection of life and resurrection of damnation. These um, ideas, these points are all from the Bible. The Bible discusses two distinct resurrections. The first being unto life, and that's for saved Christians. The second resurrection is unto damnation, and those are for the individuals who have refused the free gift of salvation and have rejected Jesus as their Lord, God, and Savior, and they will stand at the judgment seat and be sent into the lake of fire. The first verse here, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, this is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He was speaking mostly to believers in this church. Corinth was a gateway city, and a lot of traffic and a lot of trade that went from Asia came through this point into Europe and vice versa. So it was a very prosperous city. There was a lot of wealth there. And a lot of the Christians that were saved in Corinth, they had backgrounds that were very worldly. Paul was speaking really basic fundamental truths, especially in this chapter 15, when he's talking about the mystery of resurrection. Now, that really begs the question, what is a mystery? In the Bible, a mystery is a previously unknown truth. So God is revealing something that was not previously known, 
However, what makes it a mystery is that it has a supernatural quality. So, for example, if we didn't know some facts and somebody gave us that information, we became wizened to that fact. That's not a mystery. A mystery is something that we didn't know before. However, it has a supernatural quality to it. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So the mystery here is, this was a concept that was not previously known. Paul is sharing this godly information. And he's saying here, we shall all be changed. When he says, we shall not all sleep, that means all of the people listening, their bodies would not necessarily go into the grave. But they would all be changed. The body will have a supernatural quality after God judges it. When he said, we will not all sleep, we're all looking for the Lord to return. The Bible speaks when a person dies, their body goes into the grave to sleep, but their soul never rests. It's either with God or it's in hell. And we're going to look at this. The two, the, the two resurrections are very distinct. And again, to give you a little bit of background, let's just assume we're putting on our gardener hats again. And we're thinking about a garden that has many um, tomato plants in it. And here in Virginia, those first tomatoes will start to ripen around the last week of June. And then most of the harvest will be through July and August. And if there's a late frost, you can even get some tomatoes late into September, the first week of, of October. So when looking at that, those first tomatoes that are available to pick at the end of June, that would be your first fruits from the garden. What comes during the main part, during July and August, that would be considered your main harvest. And then you would have a few tomatoes that you would get into late September, the 1st of October, that would be the gleanings. And God uses that same harvesting concept. When he rose from the grave on Easter Sunday morning, that's called the first fruits. And we will look at that verse today. When the Lord returns and we will be gathered up together with him at, with the clouds in the air and the graves are going to be opened at that same time, that's the harvest. And then there's going to be a 1,000-year period where Christ reigns on the earth, a millennial reign. And during that time, people will also be saved. And they have to also get a glorified body. That will be the gleanings. So the first harvest, which is the resurrection unto life, the first harvest is for Christians. The first harvest has three parts. The first fruits, the main harvest, and the gleanings. The first fruits are in the past when Jesus rose from the dead. The main harvest is when he returns. And the gleanings are the souls that are saved during the 1,000-year reign. Now, the second resurrection is the one unto damnation. Those are the souls that, and the, the people who rejected Christ. That happens after the 1,000-year reign. That's when the unsaved stand before God. And then they are judged. And with their body... They are sent into the lake of fire. So the first, the first resurrection is for Christians, and the second resurrection is for the non-Christians. Let's look a little bit closer at this. Genesis 2.7 says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, 
and man became a living soul. So in the Garden of Eden, God took some of that dust, some of that soil, and he formed a human being shape named Adam. But Adam at this point did not have life. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and now man became a living soul. Genesis 3.19 says, In the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread. This is Jesus talking to Adam. Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shall thou return. In chapter 2, Adam had not yet sinned. By chapter 3, Adam had committed the original sin, and God now puts a curse on him, because he said, In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt die. And he says, For dust you are, and unto dust you shall return. And indeed, even though Adam lived a very long life, over 900 years, he still died, and he passed. Job 19.25 and 26 says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth. Now think about this. Job is the first book written in the Bible. He was a contemporary approximately of Abraham. So he's living almost 500 years before Moses was given the law by Jesus, the Ten Commandments. Job was written before the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This book already predated the Pentateuch. And look at what Job is saying. He says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth. Job knew he was a sinner. And he says, And that he, Jesus, shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. So Job is prophesying here that Jesus will stand in the latter day, in the end times, and he will put his feet on the earth. And though my skin, this is Job speaking, my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job is saying that even though I will die and go into the grave and the worms will eat my body, in this same flesh I will see God. Ezekiel 18.20 The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And by the way, all of us are sinners, so all of us have a dead soul from a spiritual point of view. That's why we need to be born again, to be quickened, to be, to be made alive spiritually. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. This verse is teaching us that the soul that sins, it will die, and the sins of the father are on the father. They don't pass to the son, nor vice versa. And what that means is that we can't get our righteousness from our children or from our parents. The only righteousness that we have that comes before God comes from Jesus and his blood that he shed on the cross. And we have to make an atonement for that with God because of his atonement. We have to make it right between our soul and God. Every sin has a cost. I was thinking about this idea the other day when I was shopping. How many of us have been to Walmart and we fill up our, our shopping cart with goods? We, we could go into the sporting goods section. We can, if my son was with me, he always, want to, he always wants to go buy worms so he can go fishing. Of course, you go into the food section and you fill up with produce and 
canned goods and frozen goods and ice cream and all those good things. And then when you go to the checkout, they scan every item. They don't just look at your basket and say, well, I guess there's about $100 of groceries there. They scan every item. And then at the end of that total, they say, sir, you owe $257 or whatever the total will be. Do you know that our sins are just like those items in that shopping cart? Every sin has a price. And every sin has to have that price paid. Bill is due on the judgment day. None of us in this room can even pay the price of one sin, let alone a lifetime of sins. That's why we need Jesus' blood atonement, the payment for our sins. Without it, we will stand before the great white throne and be cast into the lake of fire. Daniel 12, 2 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to the shame and everlasting contempt. So Daniel is prophesying here, and when he says many of them that sleep, that's a many as in a total aggregation of all humanity. Many versus a few. He's saying many, all of humanity, of them that sleep in the dust shall awake. Everybody that's in the grave will awake. Some to everlasting life in heaven, and some to shame and everlasting contempt in the lake of fire. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. That's the essence of faith. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We are confident, I see, and willing rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we know that our loved ones, if they're Christians, they have given us a testimony. And we've seen them day in and day out. And when they pass into eternity, we have the comfort of this verse. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. This is when Jesus comes back. Jesus is coming back and the trumpet will sound. The nation of Israel, they would use a ram's horn and make trumpets out of them. They were called shofars. And whenever they would go to war, they would blow the shofar. Put everybody on notice that a battle was about to start. And when Jesus comes back, it says the trumpet shall sound. And then the dead shall be raised incorruptible. If we have incorruptible body, that means we're part of the first resurrection. Part A, part B, or part C. Because a lost person cannot be raised incorruptible. They will be raised with corruption. Because in, in Revelation it says, He that is filthy will be filthy still all the way through eternity. But it says here, we shall be changed. And it's in the twinkling of an eye. That's very, very fast. That's faster than your eye can blink. Daniel 12, 1 says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which stands for the children of thy people. And, sh and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Daniel here is prophesying that in the end times, during that seven-year period of tribulation, before Jesus comes back and fights at the Battle of Armageddon, before he starts that 1,000-year reign, those special saints 
who are tormented and tortured and become martyrs for Christ, they will have a special place in heaven. It says, the great prince that stands for the children of, of the people, Michael, the archangel, will come at that time. And it says the people will be delivered. These are the people who trust and, and love Jesus. These are Christians. They shall be delivered. And everyone that is found written in the book. And this is speaking of the Lamb's book of life. If your name is in that book, and at that time, if you're on the earth at that time, when the Lord comes back, you will be delivered. You will receive a glorified body. You will no longer be tormented and, and, and martyred. John 528.29 says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and they shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. John is saying here, marvel not, don't be in awe, because that day will come. Everyone that's in the grave will hear Christ's voice. Matthew 7, 20, 52 and 53 says, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and they came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, Jerusalem, and appeared unto many. So in the first resurrection, part A, the first fruits, these are the verses that discuss the first fruits. Jesus rose from the grave on Easter Sunday morning, and it says the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints, many bodies of Christians, of the saved, which slept, where their bodies were in the graves, they arose and they came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city. Can you imagine being alive on Easter Sunday morning and there comes your grandma who you loved and you hadn't seen her for 15 or 20 years? I mean, that would be amazing. What would you say to her? You would just love her and hug on her, and she would have a glorified body, and she would no longer be sick or hurting. She would be in a perfect, sinless condition. And don't you think she would have things to marvel and tell you about? How good heaven was? Because her soul was in heaven, and now it's united with her body. What a day. And that's what's going to happen when the Lord comes back for all of us in this room. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and 23 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his, in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. So again, this is saying everybody in their order. We didn't live 2,000 years ago. We were not part of the firstfruits. But perhaps we will be part of the harvest. Because when the Lord comes back, we will be part of that. What a glorious day that will be. So we're on the top of page 2. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 discusses when Jesus does come back. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So this verse is teaching that when Jesus comes back, first the graves will open of the Christians. 
and they will come out of the grave to meet the Lord in the air. And then in the twinkling of an eye, we also will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And at that point, in the twinkling of an eye, we also will have a glorified body. And what a time that will be. Revelation 7, 13 to 15 says, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation. Just a few verses ago, we looked at the saints who died during the great tribulation. Here's the reward that they get. These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God. Their position in heaven is before the throne of God. And they serve Jesus day and night in his temple. And he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. They will be given this special privileged position because they go through this torment time and they never lost their faith. And God says, you're so dear to me, you will be near my throne for eternity. What a privilege. What a privilege that these people will have. Revelation 25, this talks about that remnant part, those souls that get saved during the 1,000 year reign. It says, but the rest of the dead live not again. So we know those are not the lost people. We know not those are not the people that have the great white throne because they will never live again. It says here, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So this ends the first part of the resurrection. You had the first fruits, you had the harvest, and now you have the gleanings. So now the first resurrection unto life is complete. All of the saints at this point have a glorified body. Now we're going to move on to the great white throne. Revelation 20, 11 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, that's Jesus, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. You see, Jesus is going to destroy this earth and this heaven. So they flee away. And it says, And there was found no place for them. These souls at the great white throne, they can't hide anywhere. Today, people can hide. Rich people can cover their sins with their money. They can hire a lawyer, and they can get through the court system pretty much unscathed. In high school, the athletes, they didn't really have to study too hard because they were good athletes. They could go through school, and many got scholarships into college. So there's ways in our world we can dress up and cover our, our bodies in certain ways. But at this time, at the great white throne, nobody will find a place to hide. And they will have to give an account. And their shopping cart will be full of sins. And there's no way to pay it except through eternal torment in the lake of fire. Revelation 20.12 20, says, And I saw the dead. These are the ones who never had eternal life. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. You know their bodies are reunited now with their souls. God takes their soul out of hell takes their body out of the grave and unites it, and now they're standing before God. And the books were open. These books are all of the deeds that they've done in their body. Their thoughts, their words, their actions, their attitudes. God has a recording angel who wrote down everything in the books. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged out of those things written in the books according to their works. The more sin that they did, the more they will suffer into eternity. Revelation 20, 14 and 15 says, And the death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Right now, hell is in the center of the earth. But since God is going to destroy this earth and make a new earth, he takes hell out of it, and he takes death, that spirit of death that's in the earth. That's why we die. There's a spirit of death. And he takes hell and death and casts them into the lake of fire. So all of the qualities that death has and all of the qualities that hell has for torments is now added to the torments that are in the lake of fire. Okay, the great change. The second point we're going to look at today is the great change. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. This is good news for us Christians. Our bodies are getting old, and you know our hair is turning gray, and we, it hurts when we get out of bed. But this old body is going to be made new. And it's even going to be better than when you were 21. It's going to feel better than that. It will never get sick. 1 Corinthians 15.50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. God is saying, you can't have this old body no matter how much you like it in heaven. I don't think any of us in this room really want to take this body to heaven, right? But God says, this body, flesh and blood, cannot inherit the kingdom. It has to be changed. You have to have a glorified body in order to get into heaven. But what a great admission price. You mean I have to get rid of all this aches and pains to go to heaven? Okay, sign me up. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if our heaven, that our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens. So God is saying, this body, this tabernacle, when it's dissolved, when we give up the ghost, and it's put into the grave, and it dissolves dust onto dust, God says we have a building, a house not made with hands. It's a glorified body that only God can make, and it's eternal. It will never die, and it's in the heavens. It will be in God's glory for eternity. 2 Corinthians 5, 4 says, For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. All of us in this life, in our bodies, it says, being burdened, we groan. And we do have many burdens. We have emotional burdens, spiritual burdens, physical burdens. And we groan. The Bible says we groan in this body. But it says, not for that we were, would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. That's the future we have as a Christian. This mortality, this mortal body, is going to be swallowed up of life. What a beautiful promise. 1 Corinthians 15.54 says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality... Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death 
is swallowed up in victory. Death is going to be swallowed up in victory. And Jesus is the victory. Remember on the cross, he said, it is finished. That was the, the victory that Jesus had done. He conquered death. John 4.10 says, this is Jesus speaking to the lady at the well in Samaria. The lady who had been married five times. And Jesus said, the man you're living with is not your husband. And she was saved that day. And she went back to the village and told all the people. And they came out to listen to Jesus. And many more people were saved. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. She, when Jesus was speaking to her, she thought he was talking about the water in Jacob's well, which was deep. And she said, you don't even have a bucket to get it out. And Jesus said, no, if you drink of the water I have, you will never thirst again. And then he told her about all of the things of her life, and she believed on him. John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? That's really the question for everybody in the room today. Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life? If you do, and you follow Christ as your Savior, then you too have eternal life. And he gives you to drink of the water of life, and you will never thirst again of eternal life. Philippians 3.21 says, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself? So this is talking about Jesus. He is able to change our vile body, that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body. You see, Jesus, by the time the book of Philippians was written, had already resurrected, and the apostles had seen him as eyewitnesses that he had a glorified body because he was able to walk through the room, walk through the wall, and yet eat fish with them. And the apostles saw Jesus ascend into heaven in front of their eyes. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, Who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. This is Jesus. This is talking about God. It says, Who only has immortality? That's God dwelling in the light. Jesus, God is a light, and in him is no darkness. And it says, Which no man can approach unto. Whom no man has seen. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. And the reason is, if God appeared to us, he's a consuming fire. He's so holy, we would just be annihilated. We'd be burned up. 2 Timothy 1.10 says, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. God in the Spirit is a consuming fire. What he did is he made himself into flesh. God became baby Jesus and dwelt among us. That's how we can approach God, only through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come unto the Father but by me. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, enter into the straight gate. Straight means narrow. He is the only 
narrow, straight gate onto eternal life. We have to go through Jesus in order to be saved because he is God. 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O death, where is your your sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Isn't that a beautiful verse? Death, where is your sting? And grave, where is your victory? God took it away from you. He rose from the grave and he defeated death. Hosea 13.14 says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. This, again, is a foreshadowing. The book of Hosea was written hundreds of years before Christ was even born. And yet it says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. This is Jesus. Only Jesus can ransom us. I will redeem them from death. Jesus is the only redeemer. O death, I will be thy plagues. Plague was something that would kill you. And Jesus says to death, I will kill you. I will be your plague. I will be thy plagues, O grave. I will be your destruction. And repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. What this means is, repentance means to turn. And God says, he's not going to change his mind. He will kill death, and he's never going to change his mind on that fact. He says, repentance shall be hid from mine eyes, with respect to this point of being the plague to the grave. And Romans 11.29 underscores this. This is why God will not change his mind. For the gifts... And the calling of God are without repentance. The gifts. Isn't eternal life a gift? For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. It's a gift. So the gifts of God are without repentance. And also the calling of God. If God calls you into the ministry and he truly called you into the ministry, he's not going to change his mind. And the same thing when he calls you specifically, every Christian in this room has at least one gift from God. And whatever gift he gave you, he's not going to take it away. He's not going to change his mind on it. Because it says, the, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, he might change the way you do the service for him. Because the things you could do when you're 20 and 30, you can't do when you're 40 and 50. And you can't do those things when you're 80 and 90. The way you serve God will very likely change as you go through your life. But he's never going to say you have to stop serving me. (laughs) He wants you to serve him until he calls you home. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Matthew 22, 30 says, For in the resurrection they shall neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. We will no longer have a spouse in heaven. Like, for example, the husband you're married to or the wife you were married to. Because we become the bride of Christ. Christ is the husband, and now we're serving him as the bride of Christ into eternity. Romans 1, 3, and 4 says, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus was born of Mary as the son of Adam all the way through the the different generations going back to Adam and Eve. But he was also the only begotten son of God. And that's why Jesus, the man, was also 100% God. He had an earthly mom and God 
as his father. And that's also why he had the spirit of holiness. The only reason Jesus could overcome death and the grave was because he was holy. This is what this verse teaches. And declared to be the son of God with power, power over the grave and sin, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. He proved he was holy by his resurrection. Everybody else who's died is in the grave, except for the ones that God called out. Muhammad's still in the grave. Buddha's still in the grave. All the popes, except for the last two that are still living, they're in the grave. Only Jesus came out of the grave because only Jesus is God. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Remember we just read a few verses ago that death and hell are cast into the lake of fire? Death will be destroyed forever, eternally in the lake of fire and it will no longer impact any of us Christians. 1 Corinthians 15.56 says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. All of us, because we're sinners, will have a physical body death. The wages of sin is death. And it says the strength of the sin is law. When we break a commandment, we have sinned. Sin, by definition, is the transgression of God's law. And the more that we sin, the more we've violated God's law. And it's almost like somebody, an attorney, could build a case against us, and they gather the evidence. And every time we sin, there's a piece of evidence that we broke the law. There's another sin, some more evidence. This case could be built for each one of us that we're such vile sinners. And that's where the, the sting of death comes. Because it says here, the strength of sin is the law. Romans 2, 8 and 9 says, But unto them that are contentious, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish, upon every soul of man that does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. So here God is saying, the people that deny his deity, that reject the free gift of salvation, God says, unto them will be indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul that does evil. That's not a very good prospect for a future if the person is not saved. Romans 6, 9, it says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. Jesus died once for all. He's never going to go back to the cross. And that's why... We only can have Jesus as our Savior. There's no other sacrifice that will ever be done that can atone for our sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see both sides of the coin there. If we continue in sin and reject Jesus, the wages, the payment of our sin is death. But God did offer the free gift, no strings attached, of eternal life through Jesus. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This verse says there's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. But do you see it's almost conditional? It says, For them which walk not after the flesh 
but after the Spirit. There are many people that really deceive themselves. They're lying to themselves, and they think they're Christians, and they say they're Christians. But they're not walking after the Spirit. They're still walking in the flesh. This verse says there's no condemnation if you walk in the Spirit. That's the, that's the key. It's a conditional verse. So page 4. Resurrection 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. The first chapter of the book of Revelation is all about Jesus. Here Jesus is saying, I am he that liveth and was dead, who died on the cross and was resurrected on Easter Sunday morning. And he says, I have the keys of hell and death. I have the keys who goes into heaven and eternity. And I have the keys of who go into hell and the lake of fire. So the last point we'll look at briefly here today is the labor and the reward of a Christian. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God had the victory on the cross, and he gives us this victory of eternal life through Jesus. Psalm 9, 1 and 2 says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee, and I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. The point here is the labor and the reward of a Christian. The psalmist is saying, I will praise thee with my whole heart, not half-heartedly. And I will show forth your marvelous works. I will share with the people, I will witness to the people your glory and your greatness in my life. The great things that you have done for me. I will be glad and rejoice in you, God. I will sing praise to your name. Those are all the ways that we can serve God and bring glory to his kingdom. Isaiah 25.8 says, He will swallow up death in victory. Isaiah was written 600 years before Christ. And it's saying here, Jesus shall swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away all tears from off all faces. It says that also in Revelation. But God is saying he's going to wipe away all tears from all faces. All the Christians, their tears are going to be wiped away. And the rebuke of the people shall he take away from off the earth. For the Lord has spoken it. And that's a promise. Whatever God says, it will happen. God cannot change his mind. Whenever he says something, it's a covenant with us. And he is, all of his promises cannot be broken. For the Lord has spoken it. Isaiah was so sure when he was saying, God will wipe away your tears. And they're saying, but why? How? He says, because the Lord has spoken it. It will happen. John 19.30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So this is where Jesus is on the cross in John 19. And it says he received the vinegar, the last picture of the sin that he bore on the cross, this vinegar, this nasty taste, received it into his mouth. And then he said, it is finished. The work was done. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. They took his body off the cross, Nicodemus, and uh, Joseph of Arimathea, they took and embalmed his body. They, they wrapped it and they put it into the grave. But Jesus' soul went into paradise. Remember he said to the thief on the cross, 
Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The thief had said, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus was in paradise with all the other souls that were saved from the Old Testament times, going all the way back to Abel, probably the first person who had died at that point. 1 Corinthians 15.22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam, the first Adam, sinned. And because of his sin, we have his nature. His sin has passed upon all of us. And because we've all sinned, we all have the death curse. But as in the first Adam all die, Jesus Christ is the second Adam, and all can be made alive in him. And all the Christians shall be made alive in Christ. 2 Timothy 1.10 says, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How do we witness? How do people get saved? The Bible teaches us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this verse here at the end says, and has brought life and immortality, eternal life, to light through the gospel. And the gospel, very simply, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we share that simple message, that's how people get saved. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always, abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God is teaching us here, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of God. This is a marathon. Life is a marathon. It's not a short sprint, 100 yards. A marathon is like 26 miles. And every day we have to get up and put on our marathon running shoes for the Lord. He said, be strong and steadfast. Don't give up the fight. Even when we feel weak and frail, take a spiritual nap, get up and pray to God. <laughs> He'll recharge your batteries. And we need to do that every day. That's why we need to be in God's word every day. That's why we need to talk to God every day, fellowship with God every day, pray with God every day. That's how he recharges our spiritual batteries. He's saying here, be steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Second John 9 says, Whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. So the doctrine of Christ is his gospel. Are you abiding in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? And it says, he that abides in the doctrine, he has both the Father and the Son. And once you become saved, your body actually becomes a, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Because our body becomes a temple of the Holy Ghost. So we have God the Father, the, God the Son, and Jesus, I mean the Holy Spirit, all together working for us. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. This third point is the labor and the reward of the Christian. God doesn't want us to be weary. And he says, don't faint. Be strong in the Lord. This isn't like an assignment that you got in school where you have to <laughs> prepare for this test and you get graded. This is Paul speaking to the church in Galatia, and he's encouraging them. Don't misread this and be like negative, like, oh, I'm so tired today, I can't do this. No, no, no. God wants us to be faithful 
and he gives us the joy of the Lord, which renews our, our, our spiritual batteries. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So Paul is saying, I know that I'm not always with you. And I know that when, when I'm present, you guys are serving the Lord. I'm watching you and you love, you love Jesus. But even more in my absence, work even harder. Serve the Lord. And he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When we fear God, he blesses us more. That's not a fear like we have of man where somebody can hurt us. Because God loves us, when we fear him, we don't sin. The fear of the Lord is a way that keeps us back from sin. And when we don't sin, God blesses us more. So he's saying, work out your salvation. Every day, get up. Your job is, is to serve God. And work out your salvation. Do your job with fear, because then God gives you more blessings. Hebrews 13, 20, 21 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. God is the God of peace, and he made peace for us through his blood that has brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is our shepherd. And if we're his children, God says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus is the good shepherd. Second Peter three thirteen and 14 says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. So God says it's a promise. Look forward to his promise. Part of his promise is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Because remember at the great white throne, God destroys the old heaven and the old earth. And this verse says, look for new heavens and a new earth where dwells righteousness. There will be no more sins in God's new heaven and new earth. And he says, be diligent. Diligent means you work with a concerted effort, with a focus. Be diligent that you may be found of Jesus in peace without spot and blameless. And that's talking about our spiritual wardrobe. When we have sin in our life that causes spots and blemishes on our clothes and we want to be clean before the Lord. But the good thing about God is if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to wash us from all of our filthiness and unrighteousness. God is good. God is good all the time. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful day. It's such a wonderful day. It's such a wonderful spring day. Thank you for these verses that you talk about, eternal life, the first resurrection, the second resurrection, and all the promises you have for us that you will take away our aches and our pains. You're going to wipe away all tears. You're going to give us a glorified body. Jesus, those are awesome, awesome promises. And we look forward to the day when one day we will look at 
you in the face, Jesus, and honor you and praise you and worship you. Jesus, you are God. We love you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Father. Amen.